We are back again, and it seems like that the podcast has really taken off. I've seen in the last few weeks that we've really increased the number of people who are listening to the show and getting a lot of feedback about the power of storytelling, which uh, is ancient, which has been going on for centuries and centuries and uh, older than we can remember. And when we share stories with each other and we connect with each other on a very human level, something comes out, uh, something very ancient and primitive, but also present, starts to develop uh, in us. I couldn't be happier where things are going, and I'm just going to continue to interview people and continue to have these conversations, and who knows where the outcome is, who knows where it flies, where it leads to, and so far, uh, I think it's just out there in space and uh, I think that's a wonderful thing and today we're going to fill the space a little bit with uh, Sarah McKenna Rogers and Sarah is a, a big supporter of um, I think my businesses that I have we've had a really nice discussion on the phone and uh, she's very much into wellness and health and I'm looking forward to getting into a discussion to dive deeper into wellness where we're at uh, where we are at with wellness. It's such a catch word. It's a big thing. It's becoming a big monetary element and that's almost becoming very celebrity driven. So we want to go to the ground level, get deep with Sarah about wellness and where she thinks we're headed and how she is contributing in the wellness space. So without further ado, please welcome Sarah McKenna Rogers. How are you? I'm good. And yourself? <laughs> good. Sorry about all the connection concerns. I apparently didn't want to work through LinkedIn, so had to reroute it. That's okay. You know, I actually, that was the first time I sent it to LinkedIn. I normally just do it through cell phones for people mm-hmm. and that goes through pretty quickly. So that's good to know. Yeah. It, it had a hard time connecting through the app. So I already had it downloaded and uh, yeah. yeah, so. Well, how are you today, Sarah? I am doing wonderful. How about yourself? I'm good. It's a pretty relaxing day. And uh, I was just got back from uh, taking my daughter on her swim lesson. So uh, it's been it's oh, been pretty okay. chill, actually. You know, those days uh, are the good days. You have to have a few chill days in between all of the work, 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 right? I, I totally agree. And, you know, we're going to dive into wellness and what you're up to. And I think... Uh, I see you posting things here and there, and I just saw your post about the, all these books that you're looking to read. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Definitely looking quite, to... Uh... That's quite a list of books there. Yeah, you know, um, I am gleaning information as I listen to other wellness professionals. Mm-hmm. It comes up in lectures or um, different conversations. And so that's kind of where I've started to amass my list of books. Um, quite a few of them have been directly through wellness professionals. Um, John Io, I've had a, a wonderful conversation with him and he's connected with me via LinkedIn as well. And so um, I found his book and, you know, uh, I'll listen to a lecture. Um, I'll pause the lecture or jot down a note, go to Amazon, find the book. And uh, within a couple of days, it's sitting in my house waiting for me. So <laughs> Waiting for you. <laughs> yeah. So how will you determine when you read the books? So, you know, I have decided that um, 
right now I'm in the middle of my master's program. So obviously all of my reading time needs to go towards studies and different, uh, you know, study cases, text material. And so those are kind of on the side waiting for me for my two to three week break in between semesters. And um, so it's, you know, just one of those little teasers. I can't wait to dive into one of those books. And so I love what I'm learning throughout my semester and my coursework. Uh, but every once in a while, I just have to have the book that's just waiting for you to read it. So that's kind of what that little teaser is. That's what those are books. Mm -hmm. Those books are waiting there for me. So, yeah. Awesome. So I want to know kind of the difference that you're experiencing between or the similarities between being in school and studying, you know, the health and wellness industry and then what you are experiencing working in the business on a daily basis. Oh, fantastic. That's a great question. So what I'm experiencing uh, directly with work, so I've been in the fitness and wellness, uh, fitness particularly for almost 10 years with um, being a group fitness instructor, a personal trainer, and now managing an on-site wellness facility for a large corporation. Um, and in my work, um, I'm noticing that employees in general tend to have the message um, given to them of be well, take care of yourself. Um, this is what we expect of you as a corporation. However, the application of that message for the employees may not be realistic. So their job may require them to be sedentary at their desk for multiple hours or to um, achieve certain status within their, you know, their job description to be sedentary and available. So the messaging is we want you to be well, but the practicality of take the time to do it, they don't always match up. Right. And, you know, and, and I think that's across a lot of corporations. So just in general, and what I'm learning in my coursework though, is how to have conversations with CEOs and those who have that leadership role to direct their corporations. And how can that messaging not just be a message, but be a culture of wellness and so that's really what I'm intrigued about is how to create culture of wellness within corporations and not just the messaging. So you're feeling that currently there's just uh, quite a bit of messaging going on, but um, maybe not necessarily, it's not widespread in terms of the implementation at this point. You know, that's what I'm experiencing. Obviously, I don't um, work with all corporate, you know, corporations out there. There may be some, and I think there are a few that are really doing it right and really doing it well. Um, but I think in general, the United States, we're workaholics. We are rewarded for how long we can be at our job. How much can we do? You know, that's the reward, not necessarily how well can you be while you're on the job. So, right, right. I tell you, I was, I was in corporate fitness for a small amount of time, about six, you know, was it? maybe it was thir 13 years ago. Hmm. And I thought it was the same back then from what you're telling me now, honestly, <laughs> Honestly, it was, you know, big corporations and it was, there was a lot of messaging, but it was very difficult maybe for managers to allow employees to get the time off to actually go and use the facility or take part in programs. And there's just a lot of sedentary aspects to it. So, you know, and back then it was when kind of they were really starting to build um, fitness facilities and amenities in corporations and it was, it still was a hard, it was a hard usage mm -hmm. deal for it. Um, but then I've worked with a lot of properties that were corporate fitness based, you know, that had corporate fitness facilities over the past decade. And, you know, very few of them were actually really getting it done. Uh, we had one site that was amazing at it in California. Um, 
but I think it was more of a reflection of the team that we had on site was really gung-ho about it, and they were pushing it versus the actual corporation. Mm. They weren't as gung-ho, but it was the people that were there, uh, the employees, the uh, the third party was really pushing it, you know. Well, that's fantastic. So, you know, I'm, I'm noticing there are many, many um, – side corporations out there that do that, they will go on site and manage wellness centers, fitness centers, um, right. you know, multiple of them out there. And that's a fantastic way to go about it. I'm just wondering how can you get the company to latch onto that culture and make it come from the, the top down? Um, you know, we have a, you may have a CEO that is really, really fit and really well. Um, and they encourage their employees, but I think sometimes that trickle down message in between um, yeah. is where it sometimes can get a little muddy. I have noticed um, in particular that those employees that have more of a salaried position, they are free to come and go. And we have a higher percentage, in my opinion, that uh, are, are active and, and take advantage yes. of our wellness opportunities as far as being able to leave their desk, right? Yes. And, and obviously, you know, wellness is not just how many burpees can you do or <laughs> you run. It, it's, it's a multitude yes. of of different aspects, but as far as being able to physically apply that in the workday, that's my general observation. Um, but it doesn't mean that those who are, you know, more of a, a required to be at their desks, it doesn't mean that they're not able to get up, but I think, you know, a, an object at rest is more likely to stay at rest. <laughs> so well said. Well it's a little said. harder to get motivated maybe and keeping that momentum going. I tell you, I, uh, one of my good colleagues and, and actually one, a, a member of the facility that I used to run for many years, uh, Shane Green, he's a big player in, in culture and um, building incredible workplace cultures. It's like his big move that he's been doing. And he, he wrote a really, a really great book. I have to tell you what it is. I, I, I read it and I completely forgot what it, the name of it was, <laughs> but I'm it. telling you it was a good book. And uh but he um, he he talks about how he likes wellness programs and all of the avenues and aspects of it, but he doesn't think they're they're great choices. First, he said it's really he's, he thinks that it's first you really need to deal with the managers and the people, the decision makers. That they need to be taught yeah. the right culture so that they can then allow the people working their support staff to utilize it because it's very difficult to have all these amenities and have a fitness facility and all this stuff when then all there is is messaging and there's no real push from the people, the supervisors to say, Hey, you need to get down there, go for it. Have, you know, enjoy your time, you know, like you're going to be more productive. And he said, that's where I think the message is lost is the, the trickle down is not happening. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. Um, I just read a paper recently in, in uh, some of my coursework that ties um, that proposes the idea of tying a 10% bonus increase for managers, middle managers, we're talking mm -hmm. for the wellness of their teams. So mm. they're incentivized to, and, and truly how well is your team? Are you encouraging them to take advantage of their breaks? Are you encouraging them to move? Are you encouraging every 30 minutes for them to get up and walk around for two minutes? Right. You know, are you really in, in invested in their health and, and well-being? And if so, and your team is showing those markers, then those managers then get a 10%. And it was really interesting to read that paper. Um, I'll, I'll provide you with that information. It yeah, was really interesting yeah. to see just a little bit of that link and how managers were saying, yeah, let's do this. And <laughs> their team members were saying, yeah, let's do this. And so I think it's wanted. I think 
yeah. you, you have to give that culture of it's not um, not that shaming of like, well, why are you getting up from your desk to go work out? I have right. so much to do. So, yeah, it's, it's strange. I see the name of that book is, book is Culture Hacker. That's what Culture it is. Okay. Yeah, Shane Green, really right. great guy. I know him pretty well. He's an awesome guy. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting. This incentivizing, you know, the ten percent. It's kind of funny. It's yeah, I always hear, you know, whether it's sports or anything, you know, people start moving when you start affecting their wallet on some yeah. level, or you know, <laughs> it's so funny. It's all that yeah. we are so geared towards that. Like, okay, well, if you give me extra money, then I'll I'll push it. Then I'll know? make it worth the time. Yep. Yep. So I find that's it's interesting, but I wanted to dive a little deeper into your educational aspect because I think you know in today's students and wellness are coming into a time where there's it's just become such a gigantic industry, um, mm. a huge monetary industry, and I, I'm I'm curious because I'm I'm a dinosaur when it comes to it. I mean I haven't been in school since I was 29, and I'm 41 now. You know I did my doctorate back then, so a lot of things change. What is being taught in wellness, at least where you are or what you understand to be in, in generally the curriculum in wellness at this point in school? No, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I'm just within the first uh, two semesters of my master's degree, so I certainly have quite a ways to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am definitely getting the message that mindfulness um, and not mindfulness in the fact of you just, you know, check out. It is literally being able to connect with your body reduce stress. Um, I just also watched a lecture and I will provide you those notes as well Mm -hmm. soon, but um, who uh, in the lecture talked about how, when we go into that mindful space that we actually switch a part of our brain that turns on and we turn off the stress levels and they can monitor that. Um, And it's amazing um, how, that mindfulness comes up with mindful eating, um, mm. mindful purpose in your day, um, meditation. So that's a really big messaging I'm hearing. We have a lot of stress. We have a lot of um, and anxiety in our society, um, depression, those types of things that we're kind of finding out that those are aspects that can be helped with this mindful aspect. So that's one of the largest, largest that I'm hearing as far as taking it to an individual level. Is, is taking that mindful step. Right. Now, if you were designing a curriculum for a wellness, a master's degree in wellness, what would be your perfect um, program? What courses would you say that you would you think would be important to offer? Hmm. So at the top of the list uh, certainly would be being able to uh, have the right lingo to speak with CEOs because, mm-hmm. once again, we just established that, you know, you've got to be able to connect with your higher level um, decision makers, whether it's the CEO, whether it's your wellness coordinator, um, they're the ones you're going to sign off on the expenditure for right. a, a wellness program. So you've got to be able to speak and understand the language that they also speak and understand. So connecting with your, your CEO, your C-suite leadership. Um, not everybody comes from understanding a business background. And, you know, for myself, I literally started as I just like to exercise and wonder if people will join me. Right. So I come, I come from the, Hey, this makes me feel really good. How can I help other people feel really good? Yeah. So my entrance into the wellness has been just personal experience. And then I've added the education layer by layer on top of that. Um, so others may have started, you know, through the corporate route and found out that they were burned out. And so they've gone to the wellness side. So whichever entrance, you know, people come into that wellness factor, 
Um, but I definitely think communicating with upper level management is a mandatory. The other part I think that is mandatory to coursework is how do you actually program for corporations or how do you actually program mm-hmm. wellness into an individual's life? What are those steps that it takes? And then, you know, that third step is definitely your own personal wellness. If you're not living a, a life of wellness, it's hard to be the face of wellness. Right. Um, and <clears throat> I'm finding it interesting that quite a few of my courses are asking me to, you know, take a sleep log, watch what, you know, track my sleeping. What am I doing for my own personal health? Some of those touch points that um, will only help my wellness to be a little more honed in so that when you have the messaging that you also are practicing and you know, living that lifestyle of wellness. That's wonderful. I think it's great. I, uh, I think I was fortunate when I was going to school, my bachelor's degree is specifically in my master's at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And I don't think they knew that they were providing us a lot of wellness in our programming um, because it just really was fairly non-existent back then. But I was fortunate to go through a very well-rounded um, what, I, what I would call today a, a very well-rounded wellness-based education where we were given many options of programs and, you know, basic counseling, uh, public speaking, mm-hmm. different things of that nature that were all wrapped into our program. You know, I had a, a therapist for, as part of one of my courses for the entire semester. And um, there was a heavy emphasis on kind of the psychosocial elements of health and wellness. And I think that has heavily influenced me because I feel like, like if I was designing a wellness curriculum, one of the biggest things I would include is, is a tremendous amount of social and emotional uh, oh, coursework sure. and, and working on yourself, meeting yourself through the course of schooling. Because so much of it is externally what's going on out there, but really you're also there to work on yourself too. And I think that's something that sometimes gets lost in these programs is, you know, we offer these physical things and now it's great. We're doing mindfulness, meditation, all these things. But for a lot of people, it's they haven't met themselves yet. And really doing that work, I think, especially if you're a student and you come out and you have done all this work on yourself, socially and emotionally, um, spiritually and all this stuff, you, you mm-hmm. have a huge leg up going in to, and learn, knowing how to speak with people and talk to people. And, and uh, because you've done a lot of that work yourself. Uh, so kind of going along what you were talking about, you know, your own personal wellness uh, part of that. I would definitely make that a pretty large part of it for me. You know, I agree on that. And I find it really interesting. Um, so as a wellness professional, as someone who enjoys exercise and wellness, not everybody speaks that language. In fact, quite a few mm-hmm. people don't. Yes. And so when it comes to trying to help someone understand how good it feels to take care of your body, mm-hmm. what the, the wonderful health benefits of it. It's not just a chore. It's not just a job. It's how good you can actually feel as you put into place good, healthy practice. And, you know, those aspects that will help you just to enjoy your day. If that means that you're going to be able to go for a walk with your family members or someone without having a strain. Yeah. And you're going to enjoy experiences in life. Um, that is really kind of, what intrigues me is that not everybody fully captures what it feels like to be good, good in health. Um, I had an experience a couple of years ago when I went to Ireland, I took a trip and I traveled with some family members and I needed to get out, you know, uh, riding in a car, love sightseeing, seeing, <laughs> seeing things, but I'll tell you what, sitting down for hours, um, yeah. 
was was getting a little stir crazy. So we were in a little town called Clifton and I rented a bike and I said, I'm going to go for a bike ride. I'll see y'all in a little bit. And I took off and I really out there on this fantastic, lonely road on the coastline of Ireland. And I thought this is what wellness is about. Yeah, I'm here enjoying an experience that if I hadn't been taking care of my body, this experience wouldn't be available to me. And so that's when it kind of all came and clicked together of, I don't just do it to see how much I can sweat. I do it to take <laughs> care of myself and experience life. So, you know, that's kind of where that connection of hoping that you can instill that in other people and start with leadership and, and let them understand that a healthy individual is a happy individual too. Yeah, no, I think you're right. One, that sounds amazing, by the way, in Ireland. That sounds incredible. Ugh. Um, it, I, it. So I can imagine that because I, it makes me think of um, my wife and I like to visit Iceland uh, quite a bit. And there's a lot of those kind of lonely roads once you get out of the large city and um, that kind of freeing feeling of just being out there and that kind of the just this isolation in some weird way um, of but but also feeling very connected to the land and, and the environment and everything going on. It's pretty special, uh, those things. Yeah. Just mind blowing. But, you know, for people, I think it's everybody's like, how do they do wellness? You know, what's, hmm. you know, there's so many components of it. And I found that it's, we're still facing a pretty large issue and basically the world, but certainly the United States of getting people to be active on a regular basis. And I even saw, and maybe you saw this article. I, I think it was, I'm not sure if this was kind of like a, a piece to try to stir stuff up, but it was like corporate fitness doesn't work type of thing. Have you seen this article that's, before? You know, I haven't fully read through it all the way, but that's definitely the buzz in the wellness world. It's of, pretty weird, actually, honestly. Yeah. I don't think it's well done. That's just me. Whoever <laughs> wrote it, that's fine. You could trash me for it. I just, I think it was like a, it was a hot take, kind of yeah. like, hey, let's stir it up. This doesn't work. Here's, here's the information related to it. And, and obviously it worked because there was a lot of pushback and a lot of people saying stuff. It created this buzz. Yeah. And I'm not so sure why people do stuff like that. Maybe it's attention seeking behavior or maybe that's what they really feel they saw when they did research and stuff. But I think it can be dangerous to put out stuff like that um, with people not, you know, this go see, it doesn't work, you know? Right. Well, and the other part of it comes from which angle did they look at it from is that it didn't right. work financially, which, you know, you have to have all those components into a wellness program for sure. Um, it, it definitely brings out the, uh, did it, did it not work because it wasn't implemented correctly? You know, those mm -hmm. kinds of things. There's many things. And we, you know, sure. you, you know, working with a personal training client, you can give them the best program ever, but if they don't ever actually follow through on it and they don't see the results, <laughs> they end up blaming you saying, Hey, well, you know, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't give me results. I'm not going to work with you. Well, you didn't do what I asked you to do. So. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You weren't here that much. So, you know, yeah. like... <laughs> it's kind of hard to point those fingers. Right. <laughs> I always have a thing like when I worked in corporate fitness and then, even after that, I would always relate health and wellness and fitness like to their job. You know, somebody mm -hmm. would say something like that, like you just said. I'm like, well, are you good at your job? Like, yeah, I believe I'm good at my job. I'm like, do you show up to work every day? Yeah, I'm here all the time. I'm putting in the effort. I'm like, how is that any different than this? Right. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. I was <laughs> like, how did you become the CEO of this company? Did you Was this gifted to you or did it take you a long time? Oh, it took me over a decade, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, fitness is kind of like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not an overnight. Don't expect yeah, that for sure. I know you think, you know, you're getting, you're doing something you feel is very pleasurable and you're getting more money and raises and all that. And, 
And this is very visceral. This is doesn't feel good all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, most of the time. It's not always like very. <laughs> it's not always very loving way of moving up into something through fitness yeah. and wellness. It's you know, it's a lot That's of hard true. work. And I think people's natural tendency, you're you're having people do something they kind of generally hate already. Yeah, yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And people, our tendency is to shy away from things that are very uncomfortable for us. It's counterintuitive for us mm-hmm. to be super, to tell people they need to be active and, you know, eat, eat a little bit better and stuff. It's like, what? <laughs> what? I got to change something to make it, make some things move? What? Yeah. You're like, man, yeah. you know, it's just strange. And for, it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult pathway many times. You know, I think that contributes largely, as you mentioned, you know, as the United States, we have a, a we have an epidemic um, yes. we are to a stage where obesity is at its highest it's ever been. We have children who are um, at obesity rates that are insane. Um, there's a lot of, that the CDC has put out. Um, and just this past week, I went to a training, um, my corporation, Melaleuca, that I work for, mm-hmm. um, I went to a training to become a lifestyle coach for a diabetes prevention program. And in this program, we talk about working with individuals for a year. Now, most people are going to say, excuse me, that doesn't work. You know, that, <laughs> that time frame is a little too long for me. I want to right. have this issue taken care of right now. But they have to realize that it's taken a lifetime for them to get where they're at. And so that uncomfortableness and working step by step and making those small changes along the way um, to prevent them from actually getting diabetes, you know, those pre-diabetic in our society. And so it's, it's amazing that um, when we work, start working with individuals and, and trying to apply it to a broad base of, you know, maybe clientele or a group such as a corporate group or maybe a YMCA group or whatever. But when you start to make those changes and you connect those individuals with others and like and similar situations, they start to build and bond and grow and support each other. And that's really, that's really where I think you're going to find the success is when you start to make connections with other individuals and how they are going to latch on to the support groups um, and working and connecting with other people. So. Yeah, totally. Were there any, is there, um, going to be an increase in obesity even more? Is there a bigger projection for that as well from what you've seen? Um, you know, I couldn't uh, place the numbers right off the top of my head, but, you know, we're, we're looking at generations that are facing a mortality rate um, much higher than their parents. And so right. the generation... It's the first yeah, you know, time, right? In a while. First, I mean. time, first time that we're having those younger generations that are potentially uh, going to be facing you know, a higher mortality rate at an earlier age than their parents. And so, um, you know, we have to do something about it. We really do. Um, there's, there's a way, in fact, a discussion and debate in one of my classes has to do with, you know, do we start with the individual level or do we start with institutions and corporations and funding healthy habit programs? You know, do we go right to the individual and start training them or do we utilize larger groups and, you know, maybe state funded, um, initiatives to start to combat this wellness aspect that we're facing. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to know what maybe your point of view is. Yeah, no. Um, yes, definitely. You know, it's kind of coinciding with, um, a lot of the times, you know, with people on the, on the podcast, I kind of like the group people are doing some similar things here and there. And I recently had on Sarah Diss, who is uh, also, well, she's going for a PhD in like in public health with an emphasis oh, yeah. in like more of your gerontology 
basically. Oh, fantastic. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And which is great because now we have this huge bulge that we're experiencing with uh, the elderly, where that generation is becoming the biggest one, uh, the amount of people in it. Yes. And it's creating mm-hmm. this strange, uh, weird dichotomy. But she was, I was talking to her and she had a very interesting points in terms of talking about like zip code health and how people are, their health is very affected by their zip code, where they live, how they grow up, and the whole thing. And, and that is very difficult for human beings to have empathy for or sympathize with larger picture things. So for example, we discuss climate change and things. So let's say that's a very large polarizing political type of thing, discussion. Um, and for, but for people who want to say, I want to improve my environmental health and be more conscious of sustainability and stuff, it's very difficult for, let's say, a person who has difficulty getting transportation to work, uh, having access to uh, fresh foods, to want to care about sustainability. Oh, certainly, yep. Right? When they just, mm-hmm. they're just trying to survive. And so it's very difficult to go up to somebody and say, hey, you know, we need to change all this stuff environmentally. We do that. And they're like, listen, are you going to pay my bills for me? Are you going to, you know, I need help me get a second job. Are you going to help me buy a car so I can get to my job and I don't have to take a bus and it takes me three hours to get to work type mm-hmm. of thing. I think it's really like, it's not, to me, it's not necessary. It's like, it's funny because there's health and wellness is more center than it's ever been. I mean, it's out in the media, it's everywhere. People are seeing it. And why hasn't it changed the numbers <laughs> for people? Mm-hmm. So then I think they're all just symptoms and the disease, the real cause of the disease is really going back to the, the genesis of where people come from, who they're raised by. I mean, these are hot button topics though. You know what I mean? Like getting gritty deep into the neighborhoods you know, how do, how do you go in and you change a, a parental idea mm-hmm. about health and wellness, right? How do, you, how do you do that? Is that a big grassroots thing? Is it a government-run program? I don't know. But I think it has to start in the beginning of the person's life primarily. And at least then it becomes you're normalizing quality behaviors and health and wellness. If you're normalized that when somebody grows up, it just becomes part of who they are. But when no, you're trying is- to right? Normalize it when somebody's 50 years old and, and, they, and they've always grew up, let's say, in the projects. And How do you change that? Yeah. That's a really interesting uh, point of view. In fact, I, I fully agree. I think that as you, uh, you know, your grounding um, and your status, your beginning truly does, uh, you know, it projects where you're going to be health-wise. In fact, um, one, also one of the statistics I was reading that within the first, I believe it's eight years of life will determine and those those healthy habits that are, and I'm going to go back and review this, it's between eight and 10 years of life that sets the groundwork for your healthy habits and what you can ultimately lead to towards your 50s um, mm. and your health in your 80s and things like that. So your determinants of your health are definitely based within your youth and how you grow and what experiences you have. Now, if you have a lot of trauma, if you have a lot of um, challenges, if there's a lot of financial distress in the family, um, you know, you may grow up with the aspect of you, you just eat everything because you, you need to conserve whatever you've got. So, right. uh, you know, and, and just speaking to that term, my mom uh, grew up in her parents were uh, depression age parents. And so, mm-hmm. So the Great Depression. And so my, I remember my grandparents, it was save everything you've got. And my mom 
is the save everything you've got mentality, you know, and sometimes you're wondering, well, it's okay to let go of some stuff that trauma to some degree has passed Mm -hmm. down through experiences in life. And so it definitely has, you know, the potential to affect, you know, future generations um, when you experience something in your life. And then how do you translate that into what you do within your own family confines for sure? Yeah. I, I think it's something we have a difficult time discussing the realities of it. You know, we publicly, we say, oh, we know, let's get people to exercise more. We do all these classes and build these facilities and things of that nature. And then we have people online, you know, pumping it up. But really, it's almost a public health. It's a public health issue. Mm -hmm. It's really how do we change people's minds or how do we insert this into the beginnings of life? But how do you insert that when a child is born in poverty? And all the parents know or parent knows is poverty. And they're not thinking about taking a group exercise class or Mm -hmm. having a personal trainer or eating well. They're just trying to survive. And to me, that's the disease right there. That is where it starts. You know, I would almost counter that as well, though. I think that certain certain groups also feel there's a privilege and therefore um, maybe not a necessity of health and wellness. So I really don't know if, if you can put a pinpoint on what it is that drives one factor or the other. Um, we live in a world, well, specifically here in the United States, where we have such an engineered snacking, um, and they're truly engineered towards uh, creating addiction and craveability towards foods, etc. cetera. Um, and there's that point where we, you know, do we really go to that, I cook my meals, or do I reach out to an already produced product? And those types of things of where do we get our food sources from? So I don't know that it's always just maybe, you know, those who are struggling financially, I think you can probably find it in any class of, um, you know. Oh, that's true. No, you know. for sure. For sure. I was just bringing up one segment where yeah. it's very... Um, it's very noticeable, I think, you know, in very uh, underserved, poor communities. It's it's just so like, wow, like, you know, if you can't yeah, meet your certainly. basic yep. needs, it's very difficult to want to do these higher level things. And you think, well, moving around shouldn't be a higher level thing. You know, you think move, ride a bike or something. Yeah. But yep. it, I think where it's really can be also glaring is in, and I've seen it and in, in really wealthy populations where people don't do anything Yeah. at the same time. And then I'm like, wait a minute, you have access, you have the means you have the education and then you're now you're still not, there's a whole nother set of range of things happening then. Right. For sure. Yes. Um, uh, there's, it's called social determinants of health. So Mm -hmm. the different aspects of where do you come from? What are your concerns, your main concerns for your, for your well being? And as you mentioned, you know, the, the, do I have a car to get where I need to go? Um, do I have, you know, access to healthcare, those types of things that will definitely affect, um, the outcome or the the likelihood, I think, of individuals, right. you know, taking wellness into their own hands. Um, the CDC has a Healthy People 2020. So if you go look up Healthy People mm-hmm. 2020 on the internet and uh, looking forward to their projection of how can they affect within the United States all populations for betterment of health. So all all people living within the United States and uh, I briefly took a, a look through it um, the other day just for, a, you know, just for a little bit of topic of interest in one of my assignments right. and was really quite intrigued and in how uh, a large 
body, you know, uh, centers for disease control, how they can take that and put it within communities. I would never would have looked at it or known it's even available possibly to my community had I not looked it up just because of a, you know, a, an interest in a, in a website. And so uh, I don't know how the messaging gets out. I don't know how the programs are being utilized. Right. And um, I think that's probably also one of the disconnects. They're available. How do we get the word out? Have you, have you studied or do you have personal interests in how things have been done in different countries that have done it pretty well? Oh, you know, I'm so glad you asked that because I think um, this is what is really just makes my brain so excited to think about things. Um, other countries for sure. So um, yes. studying more of a global perspective because there are certain aspects that they get well. They do it well. They, they really hone in on health and wellness. Um, their healthier costs uh, to population ratio are drastically reduced compared to the United States. And it's incredible what, and I don't know how they've done it. So that's part of my interest in learning is how do other countries institute a, a culture, truly not just a mindset, but a culture of well-being. Right, so right. It's definitely my topics of things to, to study, definitely. I think it's a great place to start. It's uh, something that I have definitely studied myself and I've had a huge interest in it. And I think one of the, another great class I had when I was in school was, it was just basically like leisure based studies class. Uh, I can't even remember the name of so long ago, but we studied the patterns of activity of different um, uh, countries, people in different countries and how they, their park system was built to help facilitate just how the parks were designed that they were facilitating more activity based off of that. And it was interesting parks in Europe have a tremendous advantage because a lot of the park system is built to push people towards being more active mm -hmm. versus the way we design parks. Like when I've been in Europe, I mean, I grew up uh, there partially, I was born in Germany and I lived there twice is it's very much more of a, a foliage forest based forest. And and you almost always see people moving through it, hmm. rather running, biking and stuff. When you see, I mean, I've, I've been all over the United States and some parks are amazing. Here in Washington, have some really amazing parks right next to the water. And it makes you feel well because when you put a park next to water and you're having fun and you're looking out at the sea, mm -hmm. there's something very primitive and primal and uh, centering mm -hmm. about that. Certainly, but yes. if you're a, right, but if you're at a park where it's just like a concrete jungle. It doesn't look very inviting. It's nothing but concrete. It's really hot. You're less, to me, you're less likely to move. And actually a lot of research shows that how different people move through parks based off of how they're designed, which is very fascinating information. That actually. is definitely intriguing. I would love that. I think, um, you know, the more inviting, the more welcoming uh, a location is for you to be active, as you mentioned, then certainly that speaks probably to our inner desire to want to move, I think. is that type of activity yeah it's 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 pretty i was so fascinated i remember i can remember sitting in my seat learning about it and i was like wow like i'm learning about this and i started thinking even at that age like not everybody's learning about this stuff you know and like yeah 
it's really crazy. But then I also think like, say like a country like Iceland, which only has, you know, 320 something thousand people in the entire country. It feels like it's much easier for that country to be more well, because it's not so big. It's more homogenous and people mm -hmm. are very much into the system of Iceland and the whole culture of Iceland and these smaller countries. It feels easier to implement things because you're not taking into account hundreds of millions of people's ideas and right and, you, know, diversity. you know yeah there's so there's so much diversity which is great i like diversity i think it's wonderful but sometimes the opposite of that is that it can be very difficult to impart the message when there's so much and there's different cultural barriers to go through on that too oh man that's that's amazing you know you mentioned iceland i have uh, connected with um, a group of people uh, that do fitness vacation um, and they travel and they do fitness and wellness uh, activities on vacation. And there's a group going to Iceland. And I tell you, my 40th birthday is coming up next year. And I, <laughs> that's my birthday present. I want nice. to go spend a week running trails, whether or not that happens or not, but uh, just truly just super excited <laughs> right, to think about that. <laughs> well, you, you know, you, you were in Ireland, which is, which is beautiful. And then you Iceland is really magical it's just really um i'm going back in december oh uh, my wife and i and it'll be our fourth time and everybody's like really four times and i'm like it's something about it it just feels mysterious uh, you feel the viking culture from centuries and centuries ago and and it still feels like a very old culture that's also modern at the same time um, but it's, it's very centering being there so with your experience in other European countries, do you feel like you find that maybe other places as well? Or is that something unique to, to Iceland? No, no. I see. You know, I grew up in Germany partially. And, you know, this was a long time ago. But still, even back then, I felt that um, there was just more of a countrywide acceptance of things. Mm -hmm. And then I would travel into other countries and Austria and you know Czech Republic and stuff. And, you know, obviously it's different, different places. But Europe in general, I feel how they approach food is drastically mm -hmm. different to how we approach food in America. It's like, it's like we feel like we can't get enough. Like we have a ton and then we just keep crushing it. Right. <laughs> like, you know, you know, you know, you know it's weird. That's and, so uh, intriguing. Yes, and you eat quickly sure. here. You know, it's like, hey, fast food, fast casual. And in Europe, you know, every time when I'm in Iceland or when I grew up in partially in Europe, you, you would be at a table for like three, four hours for dinner. Yeah, and enjoy. You enjoy. You'd, you, I mean, it would, it would be very difficult to find your waiter or waitress, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know, you're there to socialize, to eat. And the, the, the aspect of like alcohol was very approached differently as well. You know, it was almost just part of the meal. It wasn't like to go crazy type of right. thing. Man, and so, so I think there's just different things, you know maybe more of a culture of moderation and instead of gluttony in, in one aspect or another. So that's, that's also a very good point. Um, I think we, I, I don't know where to pinpoint um, how these different topics of, of wellness have gone awry. I think once again, <laughs> we naturally want to be healthy, but I don't know how to, how to kind of pinpoint and say, this is the issue. This is the issue. There's probably multiple facets of the yeah. concern for the well-being of the United States. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, you know, studying other countries that for sure has been on the top of my list. Um, I feel like somewhere down the road, there will be, uh, you know, potentially uh, an opportunity, the, the possibility of being able to look at a global perspective and seeing that. Um, 
And the question is whether or not, you know, individuals here in the United States, if that's going to be something that will be adopted and how, how can that be internalized? Um, I think you have certain aspects of people who will, who will embrace, let's take a wellness attitude. And those are generally your, you know, your intrinsic motivated people that you, you tend to find Um, and how much external or extrinsic motivation do we need to have a true wellness conversion throughout the United States. So, you know, that's, that's probably going to be an age old discussion, (laughs) but it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. I think we're in the right time. And I wanted to ask, what does, this is a big question. I mean, I know I'm throwing out some stuff here, but that's kind of the point is just to, to have fun with it and see, you know, different leaders in the field and people studying what is success on a large scale for wellness look like? to you in the United States, let's say in the United States, I always say, Hey, you know what? We're really getting there. We've, we're starting to finally make a big push on this. What do you think that looks like? Oh goodness. Okay. That's, that is pretty it's big. It's a big one, right? <laughs> I, we're doing big questions here <laughs> all it. the time. Love it. So as far as what would wellness look like in the United States, kind of what would that we've arrived at wellness? Um, oh, you know, I think, it looks like people wanting to be well without having to be prodded. So we have a lot of carrots out there. Do this, you earn this. Take this wellness, whatever, you get this. Um, so I think if we were to look at wellness as a whole, we've got to start listening to our bodies and we've got to start to pay attention to what is truly internally going on. Um, you know, your, your wellness issues tend to be a mask for deeper concerns. Um, you know, and I'm just putting my own, putting my own little spin on that. Um, but if you look at, you know, individuals who are really struggling with certain aspects of their weight, they tend to have had some type of a trauma, some type of an issue, a concern that they're trying to hide. And that's just applying it to a physical wellness. You know, there are all types of wellness, mental, emotional, social, you know, all of that type of wellness. Um, so I think we've got to become aware of our bodies again and, and what's truly happening and realizing that, you know, wellness is a gift and it has multiple facets and that it's achievable. I think we've also kind of grown up in the culture of, well, I, I expect that I'm going to be overweight. I expect that these things are just going to happen in my life because that's what everybody else around me is doing or that's yes. what's happening. It doesn't have to. It does not have to be that way. Right. So, I mean, I, that's pretty hard one to answer. I know, right? <laughs> but, you know you what? Know. It just comes <laughs> to me. I literally, it just like pops at these questions, pop in my head. I could have never asked this if you said, give me some questions ahead of time. I wouldn't have thought of this. It just <laughs> happens when we're talking. Well, like, I haven't even thought about that, the answer to that question. Literally. Well, I was just going to ask you, what would you picture that to be? What would you think that? Okay. Okay, let's do this. Turn this around. You turn it around on me because, you know, this is how this should work. We should be hard both ways here. <laughs> I think, like you said, it's multifactorial. I think, like, I want to try to give a very specific vision. It's popping into my mind right now. The the lever's turning. And I think wellness, like, let's say we're in the future. I don't know how long it takes. But let's say school system. That the school system, education starts taking it serious. It becomes a large part of the curriculum for for high school students, whatever, middle school, high school students. So, like the way we structure school is different and that we focus on, hey, let's not be so super focused on STEM 
based things, that's good stuff, but only like, you know, like 7% of the population ends up going into that. So how about we just focus on putting a real emphasis on a curriculum that is actually based around wellness? I think if you had a school system that was based around actually financial wellness, uh, occupational wellness, physical wellness, mm-hmm. and t- like this, that the curriculum was based off of that. I think that would be incredible. I think because then we'd be taking it seriously. We'd be, I don't know if there's a school um, in Europe, I can't remember, but Iceland, here goes Iceland again. They have this, they have these great uh, program. I think it's called Minda. And the kids do meditation during school. And if a kid is uh, feeling like very energetic, then they just tell the kid to go outside to run around during class. And they're not stuck on the educational, like we have to be sitting here learning, memorizing these tests, you know, these answers for tests, things of that nature. I think in some way that schools don't teach people how to be well in high school. I mean, when I was in high school, it didn't teach me how to be well. That's for sure. Like it was just, you know, hey, take trigonometry, take algebra. You know, take writing. That's great. Writing is good composition, all that government class. Where's the wellness courses? Where's, you know, uh, how about learning how to cook? I think most most kids in high school should have take take a cooking class. They should learn how to take care of themselves, actually. You mean, you know, you mean your, your high school didn't have a home ec class? Oh, mine did. And cook? I was the only dude <laughs> taking gourmet <laughs> foods and international foods at like 8 a.m. in the morning. And honestly, oh, fantastic. Okay. It was delicious. I made some great meals. I'm, I'm and I, I'm the main cook at my house. I cook. I do all the Love cooking. It. Good. But I learned Good. that when I was in high school. And and all that stuff's not as yeah, I don't know, as these days, but I don't think it's emphasized as much. So I, I think like if I you tell me it's very deeply internalized in the school system, it's deeply internalized into work systems, like you know, what you're working in and you know, corporate wellness and stuff. Uh, I think, you know, those base, I think in those areas, like, wow, we're really starting getting. And then I think we're in, in terms of our retail, shopping, um, you know, different places of, of going out, enjoyment, that there's more, the park systems are uh, better fit towards wellness-based activities. All that stuff's possible. There's certain places that do it really well. Certain cities are amazing at these things. The widespread adoption, I think. If I saw that in different areas of life, work, school, uh, personal relationships, uh, outing, sporting events, you know, make there's, there's airports that people have to do squats and stuff like that to get tickets for the train and not, you know, the tram and stuff like that around the world. There's crazy stuff (laughs) out there, but people have to be willing to want to uh, embrace it. And that, to me, that starts at the top. So, I mean, I'm just spitballing. I I honestly don't know. I'm just throwing out stuff that I'm like, okay, well, I'll answer the question too, you know, like, (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, you have to have ideas. There has it's to be a brainstorming. brainstorming. There has to be a place to start, yeah. right? You know, I I've joked joked with my husband. I've said, you know, we're going to move to Denmark. Ah, and, uh, yes, <laughs> we're we're moving to Denmark. Hey, we're going to go. Um, in my family, in my my immediate family, my husband and my two daughters and I, we enjoy a healthy mm-hmm. life. Um, we our lives are centered around you know healthy activity. Um, you know, and with everybody, you, you don't always get everything perfect. Wellness is a dynamic, you know, there, there are certain aspects that are a little more important at different times and, and whatnot. So our family has a pretty good, well-rounded, um, we're not perfect, but we've got a well-rounded wellness. Um, and we've wondered like individuals will, 
uh, my husband stands out. We go someplace and, and people are aware that he is healthy and active and fit. Yeah. And, and at one point he said, you know, I don't, I don't understand. I'm just doing what I'm doing to take care of myself and having that noticed. And so trying to figure out, you know, being in a culture where it's normal to be well, does that make sense? And so I've yes. joked, I said, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move to Denmark. And, and <laughs> obviously that's, that's not in our life plan. It's not but, happening. Um, yeah. Eh, well, yeah. What would it be well, like, but, you know, to be a place where everybody was kind of centered on the same approach, this non-perfect approach, but there was approach towards right. it, you know? Well, then I've also considered, you know, if you do move outside of whatever culture you're in, how do you help to fix it? So if, if you're, right. I don't want to say running away, but if you're moving to another location, that may not necessarily help to project what's going on. Uh, you know, you make a difference in one little spot of the world wherever you can. So, you know, in my house, I, I work, uh, you know, full time as in corporate wellness, but I run a boot camp out of my garage right. because... I have friends who will come work out with me and enjoy it. So that's my little way of making a difference in one spot of the world. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. It's, it's very interesting. I think kind of like this, you know, kind of being with around other people who are into it, but you're right. It's, it's, it's strange. You know, some people would call that Boulder, Colorado, you know, Denmark, yeah, right. you know, <laughs> like different <laughs> right. spots and, you know, you know, whatever, there's pockets of it in the United States where it's like a fitness health and wellness facility on every corner type of thing. It's just not mm -hmm. very common, but you're right. How do you contribute to, you know, for especially the communities that are not having that at all, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I would say like, I live in a place that is super active in mm -hmm. Blaine, Washington, like Washington's a very liberal state, but it's also very hippie, um, really kind of like what you would think a really super healthy con conscious type of environment and be at least up where I'm at Bellingham Blaine area. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say that there's no real gym culture up here though. It's mm -hmm. re it's an outdoor culture of activity. It's not a, a go, to facility. go to facility, you know, it's not, you don't really, I rarely ever see anybody that looks like they have like muscle definition. Mm -hmm. Like, are they, they, they look like they have, they put external resistance against their body. It's more of a, just a way of moving around mm -hmm. regularly. So you see people, I rarely see people who are overweight here. And I see lots of elderly people who look uh, like a basic, they look generally like normal body weight size for who they are, how tall they are, whatever, stuff like that. Yeah. But they don't look like they're like super fit or anything, <laughs> you know? Right. So they have a, a lifestyle of, of wellness, a lifestyle of activity. They have a lifestyle of activity. Whereas like, you know, LA, some people might say that's, that's another pocket of like where people it's like over the top wellness mm -hmm. in places over like more aesthetic wellness combined with physical wellness and all that, you know, it's just, we're so diverse. There's so much difference in this country that it's, it's again, how do you create this large change on a wide scale when there's just so much differences, you know? Yep, so many different uh, cultures that also combine to, uh, you know, to make that make make us as diverse as we are. I think that's probably part of what corporate wellness has attracted me to that. So, you know, I've mm -hmm. always, like I said, I've been the exercise, really enjoy being a part of the fitness world. Um, but once I started working in corporate wellness as a personal trainer, it, it was literally, here's a job, I'm going to work part time. Great. There's a facility. I love it. But once I started understanding how individuals were reacting to their work environment and their health was directly linked to activity or not activity within the workplace and the opportunity, that really has just 
I've just latched onto the idea of how can I make a difference in one, you know, for one person one day, if I can make it worth their time to exercise and they, it, you know, elevates their mood, helps them to be a little more productive and they just enjoy their day and walk out with a smile, then I've done something for the day. So, right. you know, trying to make one little change at a time, um, I'm looking at the large scale of once again, how do you, how do you make a, how do you make a large scale change for the population? Yeah, I, I think for most of us, our ability is the ability to affect where we're at um, locally and our families and our maybe surrounding community and things of that nature. And I think that's a very, very powerful change we can make because sometimes we get this idea that we need to change the world. We need to go out there and like affect thousands of people at a time. And sometimes that's at the expense of the people closest to us that need to have wellness in their life. Um, and so I think it's good. Everybody doing their part, uh, if can do that, can be a very powerful tidal wave of, you know, little, little shaping of things that create a larger wave uh, towards that. But I just think the realities of, I think it's going to take a while. It's just wellness is very driven by celebrity culture now too, which is kind of crazy mm -hmm. to me. So now it's like, you know, skincare products and weird books, you know, and stuff. <laughs> it's just like, you know, fluffy things and, uh, it's just, it's kind of crazy. Like I saw this article about, uh, gosh, I can't remember her name. She does that company Goop or whatever. Oh, man. Uh, and she, and she plays one. Pepper Potts and the Avengers. Oh, yep. Yep. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> now, yeah. now it makes sense. Yep. Right? Now You're it makes like, sense. okay, <laughs> I know who it is now. And uh, I'm going to get killed on this one probably. But like, you know, I guess she threw some summit and it was like $7,000 a person to go. Some wellness summit, you know, and she got crushed for it. Because it was like, really? Wellness for $7,000? You know, and there's just something crazy about that to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's, that's an that's a interesting uh, road to go down because when you think of wellness retreats, um, I also recently had a conversation with an individual about wellness retreats and what does it take to, you know, create that culture of wellness. And when you think about taking, you know, maybe your CEO on a wellness retreat so that they buy into the wellness factor you know, you're not going to give them a minimal expense trip. It's generally right. going to be a higher end. Um, and unfortunately, wellness is not practiced at that level for a good portion no. of the population. No. And so that's not necessarily reality and on, you know, on a long term. Uh, I think it can do its purpose of showing that wellness is a possibility. But, uh, you know, for the larger population out there, wellness means better night's sleep, drink more water, <laughs> take, take a little better care of yourself, right? Yeah, I, I think so. But I feel like it's become um, wellness is I, I was listen, I love listening to podcasts and just different people in the wellness field and then outside of it. I just I like all types of I'm interested in space, whatever, just different stuff. And there was this discussion about how wellness has almost become the new the new elite social currency. Hmm. So um, it's not that. And there's lots of now there's new research on this is that people who are wealthy are not, they are spending money on other things, cars and stuff, but they're spending a lot of money now on wellness, on products hmm. related to wellness. And that that's almost the, the social currency is like, Hey, where do you go do yoga? W what hit class hmm. do you take? You know, right. where do you go to juice? All this stuff right. is it becoming a status of identity, which is look how well I am. Look, look what I, I have the time to take all these classes each day. 
and hmm. I have the time to, after I'm done with these classes, go and have all these amazing, you know, drinks of, you know, seaweed, whatever, you know, and I said, you know, right. And it's like, but the, the weird dichotomy is that most people can't do that. They have to work on a regular basis. They can't just go to a spin class at 2 p.m. Right. You know, it, it just, they're bound by their profession or their responsibilities and circumstances. So in, in many ways, there's this discussion. I'm not saying I say it's true. I'm just saying there's discussion going on about that. All of a sudden, wellness has become the currency <laughs> of wealthy people and actually now non-wealthy people who are just like, hey, I just, I take these classes too. I do this stuff. I join this Instagram page, whatever. What do you think about that? That's a good, that's a good question. So I'm not sure, you know, anything that helps with the wellness, you know, messaging. Uh, but once again, that isn't necessarily reality for a good portion of individuals. Right. And uh, so it might be a detriment just for the fact that, well, I'm not well unless I do, or I don't have real wellness or true wellness or until I have such and such a status. So, you know, I can also potentially create uh, you know, that comparison factor, which says, well, I'm, I'm better mm -hmm. than you because I have such and such a brand of exercise clothes and I run and, and make it look effortless. Right. Right. As opposed right. to I'm giving it a shot. I'm going to try what I can. I'm in my workout clothes that whatever it may be. So, uh, yeah. you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it's a better messaging than maybe other messages that could come from celebrities. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in my, in my opinion, I'd say, let's take it, let's take it all and then see how you can apply it in, in a general, general basis and say, you know, spin classes are great. Get into it when you can, uh, you right. know, whatever wellness may factor may be a great component of wellness. Um, how do you do wellness and maybe bring it down to an individual basis of, you know, that's not a bad thing to try. How can you, you know, maybe apply you know, this aspect of wellness that you see yeah. others modeling or, or engaging in. So how do you see wellness and how it is affected current, current kind of um, conditions related to wellness or not even conditions, current perceptions of wellness and diet culture? What are your mm -hmm. thoughts about that? I think for sure that wellness is helping to um, maybe rein in a little bit of the diet talk. So we, once again, as a culture, we tend to want the immediate reaction to, I need a change. I've got a cruise coming up in three months. Fix me. Yeah. What am I going to take? Fix me. Yes. Tell me <laughs> what I need to me. do. Yeah. <laughs> in three months, make me fix look me. like such and such. Right. Um, so I think that wellness factor has, uh, the messaging is coming across that, it is a lifestyle that is not an immediate, um, well, it can have immediate benefits. I'll, I'll maybe retract that and say it, but it's not necessarily, it's a do it immediately and you will forever be fixed, right? I think wellness has the message of you have a healthy mindset and you're starting to work on different aspects of your life so that you can um, function better mentally, emotionally, physically, you know, spiritually, that you have that peace of mind with your occupation and that financially you feel stable and so that you can bring the whole picture instead of, I want to lose weight, you know, with a diet and, and that will bring me peace. So we, I think the messaging is starting to counteract. I think that diet mythology that's out there. Do you still think though, that there's a huge um, focus on weight loss out there for people that that is still a pretty large aspect of it? 
I do, and I don't know that it's always, uh, you know, the general messaging is lose weight, look like this person in spandex and you're, then you've arrived. (laughs) Right. I think maybe the that should be out there is make the steps forward to feel good about you and your body. Now, obviously losing weight is going to reduce your, a lot of health risk, you know, cardiovascular, high blood pressure, like a myriad of um, health risks and concerns that we're we're facing as a society. So I think that weight loss will probably be at the forefront while we still have all of these, um, you know, conditions that we're kind of bringing on ourselves in a way. Um, uh, but I know that the call, you know, within the fitness world has been, doesn't necessarily need to be the skinniest person in the room who's going to model your health and wellness. Yeah. Um, so maybe more of an acceptance of healthy bodies, not just skinny bodies. Right. Now, how do you think now, now, now you got me rolling here. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Now we're going to roll. So how does that play into the rise of, um, kind of your athleisure wear, the fashion mm. of fitness mm. and wellness. How was that? How have you seen that kind of um, proliferate? Well, uh, so if you're talking, you know, specifically a, a name brand, you know, sometimes that's a status, <laughs> that's a status symbol you uh-huh. know, in general. Um, I think I maybe have one Lululemon workout uh-huh. jacket. <laughs> that's it. Uh, you know, so there's, there are, you know, maybe status symbols that may be associated with that. Um, I don't know if I really have an opinion specifically. I think you <laughs> feel comfortable is great. Uh, I, I don't know. What's your opinion on that one? I don't know if I really. Uh, I think it all plays together. I think um, I just think it was like I remember when Lululemon was coming up and uh, and I thought, oh, this is cool. You know, I just like good clothing to wear that because I sweat a ton and I'm working really hard. Right. And I was tired of stuff that was just kind of like basically fading and falling apart pretty quickly, you know? Right. And, uh, but I remember, you know, my discussions with, uh, with different people at Lululemon throughout the years and stuff. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a huge thing. You know, this, this fitness apparel thing, because forever it's just kind of like Nike and, you know, um, Reebok, Adidas, stuff like that, you know, and then you have Under Armour and all that. And I think it has heavily impacted wellness culture in general because it's just part of the status thing. It's like, now I have these clothes. Now these clothes mm-hmm. are not just for working out. They're also for me to go just kind of chilling and pick up people, pick up my ch- kid from or whatever, mm-hmm. go hiking, mm-hmm. you can get whatever. And uh, I, th- I think it's been an explosive uh, element to wellness because I think what people wear is, is very personal to them. And then, and so no longer, well, I mean, you are seeing it in different gyms, but, you know, at least the gyms I've been in, in, in many, for over the many years, I've, I've been in the luxury fitness environment. And that's like the uniform for everybody. The little lemon is like literally the uniform hmm. that every member, every user is wearing for that. So now I feel like kind of the, the fitness apparel aspect is athleisure apparel is for a lot of people, it's their uniform. So it's become another identifying mark for wellness for them. Like I wear the outfit I have, the, I'm wearing my team colors, you know, and I, I just very interesting and in how mm. people view that because I read this amazing article one time and it was actually about how 
the majority of people that wear very high-end clothing like that actually don't work out at all. It's more of the, the show rather than the actual right. I use it. Right. So actually, the most people you see wearing it do not exercise, generally speaking. It is it has become like more fashionable stuff. Hmm. It's stuff that people who exercise wear, but now that people who don't exercise wear it also because it's very fashionable. So we're actually seeing, a, I, again, I like to read, I'm not a huge book reader, but I'm a big article reader. Mm-hmm. And now there's there's lots of talk and discussion about how almost like fitness wear is overtaking general fashion now. It's pretty crazy stuff, actually. Yeah. So do you feel like uh, that makes a difference in maybe individual perception of wellness? So generally, you know, you wear, like you said, it's a personal choice. So if I am going to be in more of a business role, I'm going to wear clothes that are appropriate for that. So do you feel like maybe individuals wear that to express more of a wellness mindset? Yes, actually, I just had somebody and she's going to be on the podcast and she was asking me about like, uh, she's moving to New York city and all this stuff. And she was, she had all these job interviews and she goes, well, you know, should I wear like kind of Lululemon like leggings and a top to an interview or should I wear something a little more business based? And I said, well, you know, I think it really depends on like where you're interviewing. Cause honestly, if you interviewed at like a David Barton gym, You'd probably mm-hmm. need to wear a pretty risque outfit, you know, fitness <laughs> outfit, because that's kind of their whole thing. If you're like that's Equinox, fair. maybe a little, not as much, but, you know, whatever. If you're going to a corporate fitness job, definitely don't wear any of that, probably. You know, like <laughs> right. just the fitness has become so different that the clothing, the uniform is different. And even now, like um, just how the expression of people like, I mean, I didn't do this when I was managing uh, a high end club, but. I, I could see it. It was kind of a standard uniform we kind of had, you know, basically the shirt. But now we're seeing people expressing their identity and what, their personality through what they're wearing, their fit type of fitness um, gear that they're wearing. Hmm. And now, now you're seeing the rise of smart clothes and clothing that you know, detects how, how you're feeling, your body temperature, you know, things of that nature, monitoring vital sign systems. I think that stuff's all coming like big time. And I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I just know it's coming. <laughs> All that stuff. I mean, we're such a techie, we're such a techie age that, you know, things have just exploded in a lot of that, uh, you know, in that arena. So it doesn't surprise me. I can see its benefits for sure. I just want to know how to wash it. If I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, <laughs> just have to have a special rinse cycle or what? <laughs> I think that, you know, like I, I had some clients who have kind of the early stages of a lot of that stuff. And it was very mm-hmm. clunky, you know, it's like basically a battery inside pants. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, and it just looks bad and it's yeah. weird. And it's weird. How do you wash it? <laughs> it's just bad. Like, like you got a big battery pack in your pants, oh, you know, that's not going to go over well. Nope. No, nobody's going to think that looks great. You know, and, but I, I was talking to a few companies because I'm kind of into, it. I was just curious, you know, but I think the stuff that's coming will almost be, it'll literally just, you won't be able to notice it's in your clothing. It'll be nano based mm, for and, sure. and it's, you know, really tiny and uh, you'll be able to be like Wi-Fi your shirt or something, you know, I'm just like, or your pants, like your, your clothing will be an extension of your body's vital signs and things of that nature. I think this is a big thing. I really am. I'm not saying that I'm super into it, like wanting it, but I just feel it's like clothing is a big deal for people. Huge deal what they're wearing, how they present themselves. And I feel like it's become an aspect of wellness 
as well as because you know back in the day like at least for me back in the day i'm 41 you know you throw on a pair of gym shorts whatever a dirty t-shirt or something you go work out it's not really like that too much in the circles that i've been in you know you know, I think anywhere it's not necessarily, you know, jump out of bed, throw on whatever, uh, you know, wrinkly shirt, like you mentioned and, and gym shorts, it's, you got to show up to, uh, you know, yeah, there's definitely more of a culture of, uh, how you present yourself at the gym. Let's not just go get sweaty now. No, I've seen girls, I've seen girls who walk out with their makeup still looking great. And I said, I don't know what you did in the gym. Today. How did that That's happen? Not that, that <laughs> not how I look when I'm doing You might have the raccoon eyes coming out, the sweat, you know, the thing is like, you look like the Joker when you come out of the gym or something. Oh, you know? like, sure. Yeah. You're yep. like, how do you maintain that look? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you That's ever go sure. to any like fitness conferences, wellness conferences, and that involve like, like exercise, like there's exercise sessions and things of that nature with it? You know, I have not yet, um, you know, idea, uh, world convention that definitely is on the top of my list to attend here in the next, uh, year or two. Um, I've attended more of a corporate wellness, more of the insurance benefit wellness mm-hmm. side of things. Uh, I went back to Orlando, um, for the healthcare revolution convention and that was phenomenal. I would, right. I would definitely recommend anybody who's going to corporate wellness. That was a, a great event, but oh, no, wow. I haven't, I have not yet, um, and, you know, that fitness instructor part of me is just so jealous that I'm not there. I haven't <laughs> been there, but, uh, you know, someday, someday I'll get there. Well, I tell you, I mean, if you want to see the dog and pony show, you got <laughs> to go. Idea is okay. <laughs> Ursa is like, is like a circus. It's you know, over the top. It's over the top. I mean, every, and you want to talk about clothing. Oh, it's definitely like you're at a modeling shoot and stuff like that. And it's, it's kind of crazy. It's just this big circus. I love going. I'm not downing it because... Hey, you, where would you like, you feel comfortable. It's your expression of how you feel fitness, you know, it comes to you in terms of your clothing and how you, whatever, it's your deal. But if you're going there and you see it, you're like, wow, this is, this is like a pageant, like, you know, and it's just funny to see, it's funny to see a bunch of fitter people on the same. I mean, I was a collegiate athlete, so I was used to that, but it's like on steroids now when these things, man, it's like. It's actually very weird to me. I'm a very fit person, but I never feel like I belong in those places when I'm there. You know, you know that actually. So I'm curious to know how you perceive what the fitness. So instead of just wellness, but let's talk maybe fitness. Fitness. Yeah. How do you feel like a fitness professional? It that role has evolved. You know, you've got to be a bodybuilder almost to feel like you're validated in the well. You know, in the fitness industry itself so i'm curious to know how much how much of that do you believe is you know reality as far as what Mm. fitness professionals really do is it the dog and pony show because you know what how many people don't feel like they measure up even myself as a personal trainer like how much do i feel like i don't measure up to what that standard picture is does that make sense yes no it's i actually had an employee um she's wonderful at her job and I remember when I got her when she first got in the business and she she has felt and I think she still does to this day a tremendous pressure as a female to look a certain way as a personal trainer and to live up to the standard or some criteria that is almost unspoken about it or visually this visual criteria. And I feel like that's gotten worse over time. You know, if you're in the business and you're around a lot of fit people, it's almost this arms race to let's get more fit. How can we get fitter and fitter and fitter? And a lot of what's happening in fitness is helping fit people become fitter. 
That's because they point. love it. They love it so much. So you just you have fitness fit people consuming more fitness, which does nothing for people who are just basically onboarding into fitness for the first time in their life. And so I feel like in fitness, I think we kind of went through this phase where it was a very like gimmicky phase. I don't feel like we're in that right now. I feel like, you know, a lot of people know the benefits of functional training and dynamic movement, and we're getting into mobility and stability. And there's mm -hmm. a huge sweep into that. And I think it's really positive. There's less of the, at least what I've seen of the standing on one foot on a BOSU trying to balance while doing a bicep curl type of training. Right. Right. I think those people are just, they kind of age out and, and not age out, but they kind of age out, but also they they're not, they're not in it for maybe. the right. Yeah. They're not in for the right reasons. You know, they just like to work out and stuff, you know, but they're not really like, they never see it as like a career for themselves. Right. And I think we're starting to see fitness become a career in very different pathways, whether it's through remote based fitness, you know, your live platforms, like your Peloton, things right. of that nature, mirror, tonal, my stuff, my one-on-one -on -one personal training, live training. I think we're starting to see different ways that you don't have to be in a gym all day working a stereotypical thing uh, i think we're seeing the rise of more educated trainers um, as college programs get more sophisticated in kinesiology and health and human performance so i actually think it's trending in the right direction but i also think it's trending for very fit people in the right direction hmm. so when i'm around a, a bunch of fit people um it brings me back to being a collegiate track and field athlete. And I remember that was an environment I, I, I enjoyed, but it wasn't, I never felt I fit in, in that environment. Even though I looked the part, I still looked the part. You look at me, you're like, that guy looks like he's definitely part of this gang, you know, <laughs> you know, but I never felt, I never feel it. And like, that's the yeah. personification that you have. No, I never feel that's like who I am. Um, so it's kind of like, okay, I can run in these circles, but I kind of choose not to be at these conferences all the time. I just like, hey, I'm, I'm show up here once every couple of years, see what's going on. I like going to all the lectures. You know, I'm a very academic person. I want to hear what's mm -hmm. going on in the different aspects of, of human behavior. I wish there was more human behavior based stuff at uh, conferences. Um, whereas I know like a lot of my colleagues and stuff, you know, a lot of times they go to these conferences to work out, mm -hmm. like, go and take be the next be part of it take the next big group exercise class be part of a hundred person group x class and i think that's fine if that's how you feel into it it's fine i just feel like it's just making fit people fitter and so it's just not pushing the envelope and maybe more of the underserved communities but again if that's not your population if that's not where you feel led to work in then that's your thing like for me that's i've always i've been in primarily luxury fitness environments. So I know I'm dealing with groups of people. Right there. There's some people that want no part of that and they want to be part of a very different environment for it, you know? I'm curious, you know, when you, when you think about that, how does that uh, impact those individuals who are trying to make a start in their own health and wellness journey and yeah. seeing that, and does it deter them from thinking, you know, I, I won't ever look like that. Yeah. That's not a part of, you know, and if that makes an impact, um, I certainly would say that it does. 
Yeah. Uh, I've had, I've had, so I've had literally had people tell me I've got to work out before I can start going to the gym. Oh yeah. I've heard because it all the they time. feel like yeah. they have to work out to look a certain way so that they can fit in, in the gym. And I'm like, whoa, 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 ho, ho. That's let's stop yeah. and halt right there because you come to the gym and if it doesn't always have to be in the gym, you start anywhere from walking around your block, right? Yeah. To, to marching up and yeah. down your stairs, whatever the case may be. But, um, that, that truly surprised me when I have, you know, I've heard that comment. I've got to start working out before I can come to the gym. So that's me a little backwards for sure. And that's it's definitely backwards. Well, and, and the perception of what being healthy and healthy activity is. I think so. Yeah. I, I've, I think it's just so much to discuss with these types of, um, you know, you could have round tables, you can have, and I've been to a lot of places where we, we go round and round on this thing. I just, I think we're trying to move in the right direction. I, I see that is more in, in the um, in the mindset of people there, we're seeing about it. But um, the numbers just really don't bear out that much. Maybe it's just what I'm seeing, but there's some really great um, – gosh, I, I keep forgetting people's names. It's terrible. I'm pretty good at it. But, like, I listen to these podcasts, and I just, like, listen to the content, and I forget people's names mm-hmm. sometimes. But there was this, um, I think you might be interested in on Freakonomics Radio on um, Apple Podcasts. There's this really compelling podcast and this um, episode is called The Zero Minute Workout. Zero Minute Workout. Good. And it's basically about these researchers talking about that there is some version of, it's a very low level version of an exercise pill that mimics literally very small, minute aspects of exercise, like adaptations of it. And I thought it was interesting during it. I mean, we could discuss the other part at some other time. But basically, they asked him, I said, well, what percentage of the population is working out regularly based off of recommended guidelines, which have become very relaxed even more? Um, mm, certainly, yeah. He said, he said, listen, there will be a bunch of people that will tell you it's 20% of the population. And he said, but I do this for a living. I research this for a living. I'm on the ground level on this. He's like, it's below 10%. It's in the it's not as much as you think it is. It's really, really tiny. So that was kind of discouraging a little bit. We say, you know, we have all this out here, but the not the needle has not moved. It really hasn't. If you look at the for the numbers and the information. So i just I just get really curious about that. Why is that not happening? You know? Yeah, what it what uh, maybe deterrence or lack of motivation or lack of information or education. Yeah. So, you I know, think so. I, I think you touched on a really good point. Definitely comes back to that uh, younger experience in life, um, you know, high school, elementary, middle school, different experiences with having wellness um, combined with the rest of their activities. So I, I certainly know here in my school district that my kids are at uh, PE is part of it, but they don't necessarily have a PE teacher. Fun. Yeah. It's not necessarily, hey, let's have a discussion of how we move our bodies and how do we fuel our bodies. It's PE time is you're just going to get out and run. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is better than nothing. I won't right. think about that for sure. Right. Right. For sure. I got to tell you, I, I love talking this stuff and you have a very <laughs> calm and very organizational, very tactical and research-based, but also really well-founded look at all of this. And um, I'd like to do another part of this and on another podcast i think we can continue this on another aspect kind of a part two because there's some really great information we're discussing here and you're a great conduit for that 
Oh, well, thank you. I certainly would love to, you know, this has been a great experience for me as well. And I appreciate you taking your time. Uh, certainly I've, of I've been, you know, keeping tabs on the other um, individuals you've been able to um, mm-hmm. talk with on your podcast and you've got such a great array of um, content. So I'm, I'm just very honored to be a part of that. So thank you. Well, thank you. And you'll be a part of it in the future. So I'll, I'll contact you about it, but I got to run, but Sarah, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Well, thanks to you as well, Darian, and have a fantastic day. All right, you too. Bye. All right.